Hi, hello, it's Vin. Thank you so much for listening to the Vin and Ali show. We've created something that we're really excited about and we want to share it with you. It's called Recalibrate. It's a 12-step process that helps you create more clarity and more alignment in your life. It's the exact approach that both Ali and I have been using to live happier lives and to achieve all of our wildest dreams in the last seven years. It's been crazy. Being one of our loyal listeners, we wanted to share a special something with you. Visit recalibrate.online forward slash Vin and Ali to access the course for 70% off. I hope you will check it out. Anyway, let's dive into this episode. Uh, hi, everyone. Welcome, it's not good. Welcome, to the, welcome to the Vin and Ali show. On this particular episode, we're reviewing the book, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And I just sent Ali an email to open the link for this podcast. <laughs> the title of the email was this book broke my brain i started laughing <laughs> well it's just this this is one of those books where you, you know before you go and you go into an exam and you clearly didn't study for this exam and then you're in a situation where you're like all right hopefully the exam is the exact parts of the book that I actually read and the exact parts of the book that I actually studied for. And then you go into the exam and then the first question you see, you're like, yeah, I'm screwed. I, I, I'm totally screwed for this test. And it's just, I, I don't know. This, this, was yeah. a, this was a really hard book for me. This is one of those books that I've recommended a few times. And it yeah. either like really hits and people are like, oh, what a book, changed my life. Or it's one of those books where people are like, what the hell was that? Why did you recommend me this book? It made well, no sense and I hate well, you. Here's, <laughs> well, here's the thing. You sent me into this book with no warning, with no kind of, you know, you, you gave me no context. So I went into it like, doo, 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 doo. let's go yeah, read this book. And yeah. then it just, it broke me. It broke me in more ways than one. It just, <laughs> and, and look, I, I, just before we get into this, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to take my humble, humble pie hat off for a second. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm all right. I'm doing okay in life. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I, but then when I read this book, I just, I felt like I didn't know anything. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the, I felt the full weight of, you know, nothing, Jon Snow. But I just, oh man. Oh, I love it. It took me oh. so long to read this book. I had to read it. I read pages over and over again to try to digest what he meant. And then I've taken so many notes that I don't even know how we're going to tackle this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where to start either. Like, because I tried to really, I've read this book a few times. And then oh. this time around, I really tried to study it. And I think yeah. I went too deep that last night when I was talking to Chantel about it, she's like, so what are you going to talk about? And then my face just went blank and I'm like, I think I've highlighted too much and I actually have no idea what we'll talk about. <laughs> well, this could be okay. like a six minute podcast. Maybe we just finish up <laughs> like, great book, go read it, everyone. Send us some feedback and email so you can help us understand what's truly oh. going on. No, awesome. well, well, look, I, I, I guess if we had to, to, to talk, how would you describe this book in a sentence? Okay. So I think ultimately- I don't know if I'll be able to do it in a sentence. I think at its core, the book is about being present and being in the moment. So the core of the philosophy is we either live in the past or we live too far forward in the future. And Mm. that, you know, Eckhart Tolle's sort of theory is that if we live in the now, that is kind of the solution for everything. Um, 
And I just love it because I'm someone that's pretty future focused. So when I read this book, I'm like, ah, there's a different, I don't understand what's going on here, but there's a different way to live. And I want to explore it a little bit. And that's probably what I think the overarching high level principle is. I don't know if you got the same though. I think this was one of those books though, where it's just up to interpretation. Like <laughs> you can ask 10 people what this book's about and you'll probably get 10 different answers. And thanks for joining us for the episode of Vin and, Vin and Ali show. That's it. That's all we have to <laughs> That's say. It. I, I, oh, don't, I have nothing yeah, else to yeah. add. Yeah, you're not adding anything to that? What about no, you? No, what, what, no, did you well, what, what did you feel? Well, it's your first time. This is your, oh, well, your virgin voyage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think you summed it up really well. It just my thoughts as I was reading through this book and as I was going on my first voyage, I... I really felt like, you know, we talk about through one of the things that, that we've been working pretty hard on is, is recalibrate a, mm-hmm. a, a course and a program that we're, we're creating and designing about how to live life. And we've kind of identified there are six to eight buckets in life. You've got your career, your finance, you've got, you know, your, you've got your family and friends life. So there are many buckets in life. And one of the buckets as well is spirituality. And I think reading this book has made me realize that I'm an absolute noob when it comes to spirituality. And that bucket of mine in my life is extremely empty. And I, I really know nothing about it. You know, going through the book and seeing words like enlightenment and being more present, these are just not the words that I've studied or areas that I've studied much at all. I, I've thought a lot about how to build a business, how to build a career, how to build an online business, an online presence, an online brand. But then when you talk about presence and enlightenment, it's like the, the sound that comes to mind, that came to mind multiple times is <laughs> this. I went to an Asian restaurant once and it was one of those real authentic Asian restaurants. And I, I asked if, oh, do you guys do like a vanilla latte? And the waiter looked at me and, and he just looked really, and he, and he, and he goes, oh, what? And I'm like, a vanilla latte. And, he, and then he makes this sound. He goes, huh? <laughs> and I will never forget that sound because it was a, huh? It was just, you see, yeah. it was like I, I destroyed his brain because he's never heard of this thing before. It's like, we only got jasmine tea, man. Jasmine or green tea. And then I just, that sound was the sound that I was mentally making throughout the entire process. You can just imagine you're on the plane and when you get to certain pages and you're like, what was the sound? You're like, huh? No, no, you got to do it right, Ali. It's, huh? I really didn't commit. commit. (laughs) It's too early in the morning. You did commit. But look, let's, hey, let's not, let's not beat around this virgin bush. Let's dive into this. I, I think right. the, the, story, the story that really connected with me right at the start mm-hmm. was, the, uh, and, and if, if the audience doesn't mind, I'm just going to uh, read this story to everyone. It's story time, everyone. Uh, there was once a beggar who sat on a box by the side of the road for many, many years. Day in, day out, swarms of strangers would pass him on their way, and the beggar did what all beggars do. And they asked for money. One day, a traveler was passing through the town, and the beggar shouted, please give me some money. And the traveler said, sorry, I don't have any money to spare, but I'm curious about your box. What about my box? The beggar replied. Well, what's in it? The beggar responded, I don't know. It's just an old box I found here that I've been sitting on for years. Uh, Persistent in his inquiry, 
The traveler asked again, what was in the box? And the beggar replied, I've never looked. And the traveler said, traveler said, why not? Because there's nothing in there. The beggar howled back. And the traveler said, well, let's just take a look, shall we? And finally, the beggar opens the box. And amazingly, he finds a treasure, filled, a treasure box filled with gold. And he's been sitting on it for years and just never knew about it. And the author then says, what box are you sitting on? And I guess what he's alluding to there is that all of us have this, this presence that we're not tapping into. The, the power of the now that we're not tapping into. Because like you said, I think we can start it off by talking about we tend to live too much in the future. That is me too. I, I don't live in the past much, do you, Ali? But for me, I mainly live in the future. Yeah, I'd probably, probably lean more to the future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And isn't it weird how most of us compulsively live in the future? It's, 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 the, it's the classic, I will be happy when, I will feel good when, you know, it's going to be a much better place to be when I'm on that holiday at the end of September. Mm-hmm. You know, we, so we're just not present. Mm. The, yep. there's, there's a passage here. Let me, let me find this passage. Uh, I have so many notes. It's outrageous. <laughs> okay, here we go. So one of my notes I, I wrote, and this is the, the author talking here. He, he goes, how does this mind pattern operate in your life? Are you always trying to get somewhere other than where you are? Is most of your doing just a means to an end? Is fulfillment always just around the corner or confined in short-lived pleasures such as sex, food, drink, drugs, thrills, and excitement? Are you always focused on becoming, achieving, and attaining, or alternatively, chasing new thrills or pleasure? Do you believe that if you acquire more things and that you'll become more fulfilled good enough and psychological complete? Are you waiting for a man or woman to give meaning to your life? And then the note I wrote under it was yes to all this FFS. (laughs) (laughs) I also feel as you, you read a couple of these passages that there could be a version where you like narrate this on audible or do a section version. (laughs) It's it's just one of those things where we, we do live in the future. I mean, I Mm. spend so much of my time living in the future, dude. Yeah. And I think that's why this book has probably grown in such large popularity. Like, I think this is one of those books where Oprah views it maybe is in one of her top three, top five books. And for me, when I found this book, it was pretty similar. Like I was, okay, I was ticking off the achievement boxes, living into the future, making the plans, and then you'd get to the end goal. And it was kind of that notion of, okay, well, I'm there now. Now what? It didn't really tick whatever feeling I was searching for. And then it was then looking for other operating systems. You know, like there's a lot in this book that's very esoteric and it's quite out there depending on how you interpret it. Um, Then there's a lot in it that's actually quite practical. Like it's just so simple in the fact that it's like, okay, well, we might want to achieve these things and these outcomes. But this was probably one of the first books that really got me thinking about the journey. And it's like, okay, well, what does it then feel like on the way. And I think he speaks about in other areas of the book and it's like, okay, well, what, what is the quality of your consciousness is one of the terms that's used. And that's a pretty abstract term, but to me that means, well, what's the quality of like your thinking, your awareness, um, 
you know, levels of joy when you're embarking on certain actions while you are on the journey. And that was just a big kind of practical takeaway that I took away mm. from this book was just being a little bit more mindful. And you, you spoke about recalibrating what we do in that process. I actually think there's lots of that in that process that we now look at executing in our lives where it's like, okay, well, we'll stay, keep trying to achieve things and take on projects and do take actions. But then it's how do you improve the alignment and the quality um, of those moves. Well, one of the one of the first things that the author talks about when you want to improve the quality of your life is mm. the realization that you are not your thoughts and you are not your emotions. And, and and that was a pretty big one for me because that's exactly what I thought I was. Yeah. Right. Is that. You're saying to me, I'm not my thoughts and I'm not my emotions. And to me, it was like, well, then what the hell am I? <laughs> and, and it was just this really weird thing that I, again, virgin experience. You know, I think a lot of yeah, people yeah. who are, are further down the path of spirituality understand the concept that you are not your thoughts, you are not your emotions. Mm-hmm. But man, it was a scary realization because I lived my entire life kind of, you know, the way I think is me. Mm-hmm. And, and the feelings I feel, yeah, of course that's me. That's who I am. And to be introduced to a concept where that isn't me and I'm the observe, I've got to practice observing the emotions and observing the thoughts. And you are the observer, not the actual emotion and thinking. That was a radical shift in my mind. Hmm. It's almost like you practice that when you were, while you were reading it, did you try and give it a go? I did. I did. I've done it multiple yeah. times now while reading it. Yeah. And it's a really weird experience. <laughs> yeah. So what's that because, feel like? Be, well, it, like the book says, it feels like you're unlocking a higher level of consciousness, mm. right? It's, and, and I guess I tried doing it while I was journaling as well. And that's what made it really clear for me because I was just writing about the things I was thinking and trying my hardest not to judge it. Because I think the thing that I always do is I take data and I analyze it. I love analyzing stuff. And, I'd, and, and and trying to take it a step further and just observing it without analyzing it or judging it, just looking at it, that was one of the hardest things I think I've ever done. Mm-hmm. But after I successfully have done it a couple of times, you go, oh, wow. It kind of gives you this light. It gives you this separation mm-hmm. from from what I used to perceive as being me, meaning my thoughts and my emotions. So it gives you this little bit of separation for a few moments. And then you kind of go back to analyzing, well, you're feeling that because you're a piece of shit, (laughs) right? (laughs) And then you judge it immediately and then you go back, but you you get that little moment of, and I I, I like to use the analogy of uh, the matrix. Your mind is literally a matrix and your emotions is a form of a matrix where you just get drawn back into it. And so you get these moments where you unplug and then you replug into the system. Yeah. So I've, I've felt real brief moments of that higher levels of consciousness, but man, it's, it's a weird feeling. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's cool reflection. And so when you, in light of that, do you think this is something that you'd practice more or do you feel like maybe not yet? Or <laughs> what's your well, kind of it, thoughts it, around application? It's made me aware <clears throat> of my addiction to thinking. Mm. it's interesting yeah i i'm a, i'm an addictive i'm a yeah i'm an addict to thinking and and there's a 
there's a note here as well, and and I do apologize. I think most of us are like, and this is. I think he touches on it in the book a few times. It's like this is probably one of the biggest things that's facing society at the moment. Is that mm. we're all conditioned collectively, <clears throat> like we're we're thinking animals. <clears throat> it's all about progress and achievement and getting there, and you know, you need this product to feel this way. You need to look this way to present, you know, so people like you. Like like, there's all these things that are so reinforced. To us. So I think that's one of the things that this book just kind of helped me with as well. It's like, okay, well, just kind of try to accept it the best you can. Um, you know, the, it's such a simple saying, but it just is what it is. And I think that's what mm-hmm. this book at its core really helped me with trying to implement into my thinking patterns a little bit more. Because that's that's the thing that I always find. Like every time I read this book, it just feels like, funnily we've used this term a few times, but it feels like a recalibration. Like I can sit there and then be like, okay, like I'm reading this book right now. How far am I into the future? And what's the quality of my sort of mind patterns and thinking at the moment? And funnily enough, when I read it this time around, I was like, geez, I'm actually a little bit away from what I would call like that center or um, in that spot. And then it was just more like, and it's just simple. It's like, okay, well, you know, we'll, we'll talk about some of the practical things, but there's this great tips in this book. It's like, all right, well, feel your hands, feel your feet. Um, when you breathe in, breathe into your belly and just slow down for a bit. Don't um, observe the thoughts. Like it gives, it actually gives a lot of like these practical toolkits um, as checkpoints. And then I'm like, okay, well, how often am I actually doing that right now? And then for me recently, it's like not that much. I'm actually more in the thinking mindset. You know, and like say if you imagine the mind is something that's sort of dragging you around and you're just following it, <laughs> you're the passenger. Um, probably being more in that zone rather than being the one that's really the observer or as the book says. Um, and then, yeah, it was just like the last couple of days since we've been reading this, just feel so chilled out again, <laughs> just from the books. I'm like, oh, hey, I've, good work, I, good I work felt, Eckhart. I, I, felt, I felt really stressed while reading <laughs> yeah. this book. Yeah, I, 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 it's I felt stressed effect um, on me. <laughs> after, after I read it and then thinking about how we're going to talk about this book, like that was a little bit. <laughs> yeah, stressful. yeah, but now the actual the, the actual reading was well. Yeah, I love it. Well, no, reason- to me, this is like a top three book. Oh, I'm putting it. I just I'm such a really fan, so yeah. Well, I'm, I'm again. I think you're more experienced walking down this path. Whereas for me, it's 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 the first time I've I've only yeah. started my journey down this spirituality path. And, yeah. and I mean, one 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 reason why it was stressing me out was because it's it, they use the metaphor in the book as well where. There's nothing wrong with cells dividing in the body, but if cells keep dividing, then it becomes a problem. It becomes a cancer, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And same thing with thinking. Thinking is fine, but then if you overthink, it becomes a cancer. And I just I, I love that metaphor because it 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 really it really mm-hmm. shines the light on the fact that we often think ourselves into more suffering and more pain than is necessary. Now that was a big one for me because that's what I do. And I think we, we, we live in a world now where when you look at the hierarchy of needs, the, the most basic of our needs for most of us in the Western countries are, are, are met. And now we don't have to worry about food and shelter, et cetera. So for, for so many of us now, we, we live in our minds so much more because we have time to think. And, and, and to think of thinking as a disease 
oh, wow, is that a brand new concept to me? <laughs> I, I always thought of thinking as one of the most valuable things that I do. Because I, I always looked at thinking as that's what's allowed me to strategize and plan the life that I have. That's what's allowed me to follow a strategy and execute on the strategy that has led me to the life that I'm living. And then for this book to call out thinking as being a disease, I connect with it and I don't connect with it. It's weird because I connect with it because the suffering that I think I've been experiencing in the last, what, maybe 12 months – is overthinking for sure, mm. for sure. It, it's like yeah. another analogy when you, if you look into when you look into the sun for too long, you go blind, right? But, you know, you can glimpse at it real quickly. And I think I've just been looking in the sun for too damn long. I've been thinking too much about life in the future and not just not just living right now. Yeah, it's a weird I, one. I think there's a couple of parts to that though. Too. Mm. Like obviously there's and he, he touches on it in the book where it's when you're thinking about the future and you can't really act on it, that's different to planning and taking call it creative action in the present moment. Mm-hmm. And when I actually like just as your friend, like watching you do things, I actually think that a lot of your thinking, you do hit the higher points of like call it creativity that comes from that present moment action right like when you actually break it down like you spend a lot of time sort of in in your workshop in your study like writing creating developing and i think that getting into the call of that flow state which i would say in this it's like you're using the mind as a tool and it's alignment like it's not really dragging around but then there's probably that other side of the thinking where it might be around worrying about certain things playing out you know overthinking dialogues in your head that you can't really do anything about like i think that's what the book kind of touches on. Not that thinking is like a disease overall, but it's mm. are you using that thinking, call it, with a quality of present moment awareness versus is it just thinking that's running through your head that's causing like stress or anxiety that you can't really do anything about? And that's kind of what I got from it. Like because it was one of the things I remember when I first read it. I'm like, so what? Do I just turn my brain off? Like, is yeah, that what this book is telling me to do? And I'm like, but then when sort of dug a little bit deeper, it's like, no, no, you still use the tool for solving problems, like for taking actions, for creating, for doing things that you love or whatever it is. But it's like, you can also then slow it down. Like it can go into idle as well. Like if we use the, the car analogy a little bit, it's like, mm. you don't have to have the accelerator just um, pedal to the metal all the time. You know, you can sit there. In, in neutral for a little bit and then accelerate just when you need to. So that was one of the things I remember taking a note um, about that. It's not about just fully to stop the thinking mind, but just to be more a bit aware and conscious well, of how am I using that tool? What you're saying is, well, you just said it. It's, it's about learning how to use the tool and not have the tool use you, mm-hmm. right? Whereas if you think about it, often when we're, when we're overwhelmed by our own thoughts – is it you controlling the thoughts or is the thoughts yeah. controlling you? And I think often it's the thoughts controlling us. Yeah. Th- th- there's a really interesting point where the author makes where, you know, you, you, you just touched on it now and I want to continue with that thought path of the past and the future. Mm-hmm. We tend to either live in the past or the future. And he, this is the bit that really won me over where he, he, he talks about how 
The only moment that truly exists is the now. Even when you think about the future, the future is you thinking in the now about a now that's going to occur later. <laughs> that's right. Right? And then the past yeah. is you bringing up in the now a moment that was in the past. <laughs> so, so, so everything happens in the now. The, the, the future is a, is a future now that hasn't happened yet. And the past is a now that has already happened. Yeah. And then that, that was the moment where I went, okay, okay, this isn't all kind of woo-woo and crazy. That's actually a really good point. Yeah. And, and so what that means is then the only control that we truly have, and like I've always heard people say this and, and I always kind of at a surface level understood it, where people say the, the only thing you have control over is the present. Mm. And that kind of thought process helped me understand, okay, so that's why this is the only moment in which we have control over. Mm. We, we, we only have control over now, now. We don't have control over future now or past now, just now, now. And future yes. now and past now is just us in the now thinking about it. And it just went... <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting a headache. I was thinking what that just, would, yeah, how that would just, read if we, tra- if we uh, yeah, transcribe it. Yeah, I don't know. I, just, I feel a headache coming. I, I think I, someone, someone, someone get me an aspirin. Oh, man. I love it. But I think you're right, though. As, as funny as that sounds, the logic yeah. really does hold up. And again, people like... If no one understands what the hell we're talking about, and if you just tuned in, <laughs> is uh, oh, you're right though. Up. Like even when we're planning for the future, we're planning for yeah. it right now, right? We like are. when we're thinking about the past, we're thinking about it right now. And there, that was the logic of that. Really does hold up. I remember when I read it, I was like, yeah, that's true. Like. He makes a good point. There's only the only moment that can be. I think that's one of the lines in the book. The only moment that can be experienced truly is the now. It's this moment right now. But then most of the time, we never give this current moment any real attention. Like yeah. I think that's the difference. And even when you know, I don't know how much this is backed up by science, and we're no doctors and we're not psychologists and all of that. But I think even when you see nowadays, like just the increase of say anxiety and um, certain mental health conditions i wonder if that is related to the gap between what people are just feeling between what's real and what's now versus what's in the past and that like as that gap widens like i find it even in myself like even after trying to practice this stuff for a fair few years now it's sometimes you just get too far detached from this moment and you're just so you know either in the past or the future and even though i'm i can sometimes be aware of that feeling, it's still very difficult to then get back when you are in that mm. state of mm-hmm. future or past. And with well, a gap that you speak of, mm. with a gap that you speak of, I mean, there's a passage here, right? Where, and the reason I think I'm referring to the passages a lot here is because, man, I, I've just got my training bicycle, like my training wheels are on. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to read direct from it instead of trying to interpret it because it's just going to, uh, <laughs> Now, he talks about this fear from this point of view where he goes, this kind of psychological fear is always something that might happen, not of something that is happening right now. You are in the here and the now while your mind is in the future. And this gap creates what's known as an anxiety gap. Mm. And if you're identified with your mind and you've lost touch with the power and simplicity of the now, 
the anxiety gap will be your constant companion. So you constantly feel anxious. And, and he goes, you can always cope with the present moment, but you cannot cope with something that is only a mind projection. You cannot cope with the future, but you can cope with the now. And it's weird. It's, it's, it, it's like when you think about when people are suffering, and even when I'm suffering, we think things like, even while we're in the moment of feeling this, we go, how am I going to be able to live moving forward? Because this thing's happened. How am I going to be able to move on? And then when you think about it, well, you are going through it. You are actually coping with it. It's just when you start to remove yourself from the now and think, how am I going to deal with it tomorrow that it causes you more pain in the present? I, that is just really interesting that it's the gap that causes us the anxiety is when you live too much in the future, that's when it creates all of that anxiousness. Yeah. And, and the fact that we can cope in the present, like that was another little one where I'm like, I think I'm hanging on to the monkey bars, mm. right? I, I think I'm grasping it, but it's, it's true yeah. in, in a sense that if you really focus on the moment, regardless of how hard things are at times, mm. we're coping. It's just when you start to live outside of that, you go, oh, I don't know how I'm going to be able to get through my day tomorrow. I'm not, I don't, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, it asks a great question in the book. I don't know if you reflected on it. It's like if, you, if you're really present right now in the moment and I ask you the question, well, what problem do you have right now? Mm. Like say if you're going second by second, like right now, mm-hmm. like you might have five things you have to deal with in two hours time. But right now while we're sitting here and we're doing this podcast, if I ask you the question, like what problem do you have right now? Do you have a problem? I don't know. <laughs> that's, yeah, I, I, well, that's a good, it's I, I a good question. It's a, it's a good I, question. I, I, I think it's a great question because I think like logically, okay. like right now in this second, right, this moment, as I'm using words to speak to you right now, I don't think I can mm-hmm. concurrently have a problem. You know, I might have yeah. a problem in an hour or like in my mind, weeks. My mind is trying to answer the question. My mind's sort of, yeah, you got problems, man. You got, you got health problems. You got 99 <laughs> problems. And then it just, it wants to just fly. It just wants to get into it. You know what? You know what's really freaking me out. <laughs> You're like him asking me this question is a big problem right now. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. You know what's really freaking me out? What's freaking well, me out is is this author saying that my mind is like my enemy, <laughs> and it's and it's it's making me fight this internal battle right now. <laughs> where, where I'm, I'm starting to feel crazy. Where it's like, shut up, mind. You just yeah. oh, just be present, be in the body, and it's just. Yeah. Let's not do it. Let's not do it. Let's not do it. This is watching a uh, this is watching a, a, a virgin uh, during their first time just freaking out with everything during sex. <laughs> just like, what, what, what am I meant to be doing? What am I meant to be doing? Where do I put my hands? You know, it's just you no idea what you're doing here. <laughs> Apologize to everyone in advance for this. They're just experiencing a virgin having sex for the first time on audio. <laughs> It's terrible. That's that's <laughs> that's one of your most interesting analogies. I love it. I, I love that this is where this book Woo! has taken you, like yeah. to to that level of like first comfort. I'm so <laughs> uncomfortable. I've never been more uncomfortable in a podcast with you because on most podcasts, I feel like I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. There's a structure to this. I've got notes. Whereas right now, everything Ali is just chaos. 
Hey, that's what this podcast is about. We learn we learn live on audio and video oh, <laughs> with our audience. Man. So this is this is a beautiful moment. Kids, no, it's cool. Don't it's cool exploring the, yeah. these concepts. Like, mm-hmm. but yeah, I love I love what you said there as well. Like when you're talking about the gaps and the anxiety gap, call it, and then what that actually looks like. Like the book, then in other parts, it talks about things like forgiveness and surrender. And so much about that is then around, okay, well, just as you were saying that, like so much about the book is about bridging that gap and then giving you active toolkits, I think, as you bridge it, right? Like, so say, for example, you have a problem or you have a situation, he calls them life situations. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, we'll dig into that a bit more. Dig dig into that a little bit more, life situations. Yeah, so so I think there's two, two things that he looks at just from memory where it's like, okay, what we perceive, you know, as our identity and like say our work, our house, our families, all these things, they're largely what he calls the outer world, which is our life situation, right? Mm -hmm. And then in his view, our life is actually just being alive. You know, it's being consciousness or whatever being alive is. And then it's nearly about separating and knowing that, okay, there's the inner world, which is how we live, call it, breathe, stay alive, sleep, and then there's the outer world, which is our life situation, and just having that delineation that, you know, they're they're nearly two entities so that sometimes your life situation might not be ideal, right? Like you're having a fight with your boss or a relationship's Mm. not great or you're you're experiencing grief. That's part of your life situation. That's an outer world kind of thing. But then the way that you process that, how you navigate through it, um, how much you're in the moment – can I butt in for two seconds and just say that I think there's a confusion that that I tend to have about when I think, oh, man, my life sucks mm-hmm. and rephrasing it to my life situation sucks, mm. not yeah. my life, right? I don't suck. I'm not a terror. Like, it's just, it's just this life situation. I think what that reframe does is it allows you to contextualize it and understand that it's just this moment in time and this situation that sucks. Mm-hmm. So again, time and time again, what I'm hearing even from you now is that it's that separation. It's being able to just separate from situations, from negative experiences, from emotions, from thoughts. It's that separation. It's, it's the unplugging of, of the matrix. It's just getting out of that. Yeah, well, well, it's watching the matrix rather than being yeah, fully embedded right. inside it, right? Like a lot of what mm. the the book really speaks about is that you become the observer of your thoughts, right? Like I think he uses the word that you become like the silent watcher as these thoughts arise. And sometimes that's actually a pretty cool process. I know we've done this a few times where we've just been chilling out and it's like, all right, you, you see the thoughts sort of come into your mind and, you know, and rather than letting them take hold and then you're just thinking about that thought for 40 minutes, and not really coming to a resolution. An alternative way is that thought sort of passes by. You smile at it, you give it a wave, and you let it pass on. And when the time is to actually act on it or do something about it, that's the time that you approach it. Or the the other one, and, and I think he uses a couple of different models there, where it's like, okay, well, you have you have a few different options, right? Like when thoughts arise, and especially really difficult thoughts, you can either choose to take action and then act on it immediately, right? Like he, he kind of goes on, well, can you do something about that thought right now? Then if not, then maybe you can just accept it, right? Like you accept it, the situation as it is, and you don't identify with it. 
and you just let it exist, right? Which is nearly a mode of surrender. Or mm. or you leave. You, you get away from it. Um, you, you get the hell away from that thought or whatever that situation is and leave it as it is. And I think that's a pretty cool, simple model. Like it doesn't obviously address everything there. Three things. <clears throat> yeah, but, but it's like a, a three-step kind of model just with – dealing with thoughts and then the idea is that from there you you get into a more peaceful state um, mm. where you can actually take a better quality of action potentially as well from that position. Like if you think about when we're really reactive and highly stressed out, like it's really hard to make good moves, right, from that position. Like how often when you're feeling a little bit on edge, like you'll drop something, you know, like the you'll have a little car accident or like these things always happen. It feels like when your mind is in that more elevated state um, mm. rather than if you're in a fully chilled position. So again, that toolkit is you either, you either solve it, you either leave it or you accept yeah. it. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that's why the power is in the now because in the now is when you actually can solve it or you can leave it or you can accept it. You can't do those three things in the future and you can't do those three things in the past. Yeah. And, and that's why, again, the power of the present and the now is that the reason why it's so powerful is because that's when you can act. That is the only time when you can act on your problems. And th- those are really the only three paths when you really think deeply about it. Because I, I started putting some of my own examples in my life through this little model and I thought, it's so true because those are the only three options that are ever present to us. And it is in the avoidance of doing one of these three things that causes pain. It's when we avoid the problem. It's when we don't try to solve it. We don't leave it and we just kind of don't accept it. Yep. That resistance is what creates the suffering. And then over time, without doing any of those moves, it just keeps building up, right? So it gains momentum and power inside. And your then mind. more. And then yeah. you've got more of these. You know, it's not just one unread email that you're not because it's like having emails that you can either again solve. <laughs> you can solve, yeah. you can leave it, or you can accept it. Instead of doing any of that, you just leave it unread. Now you've got yeah. four million emails. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And they all had to be answered four days ago. Oh, but that's man. that's kind of what, and that's when I think people feel overwhelmed, right? Like when they have so many of these, call it life situations, they just build mm. up, yeah, and they haven't been processed, they haven't been accepted, they haven't been embraced, they haven't been solved, they haven't been forgiven, they haven't been let go of, and then we sit there and we feel it just feels like such a big weight, and it's always circulating around us. And I think that's why, you know, we, we speak about it a few, and we've spoken about it a few times, like journaling. Um, mm. how, putting things into lists that you don't look at, like having some of these toolkits where you can get that out of your head and into some sort of approach. Um, Another cool practical application of this. An example of this that I'm going through in my life is that like Paywen and I have always been thinking about, Oh, you know, do we, do we get another house? Do we, do we buy our dream home? And, and it's funny because if we looked back 10 years ago, the house we're living in now, this is our dream home. Mm-hmm. And it's society's constant desire for more. You know, there's, there's that, that, that story that I, I've told you many times, but I'd love to share with our listeners. And, and it's something my, my dad shared with me that my dad learned from Buddhism. And it's like this monk was sitting with a student and this monk has four cups. 
He's got a plastic cup. He's got a glass cup. He's got a styrofoam cup. And then he's got a metal cup. And then he pours tea into each one of those cups. And then he tells the student, you know, take the glass cup and drink the tea. Just notice how it tastes. He goes, okay, interesting. Now take the styrofoam cup and drink the tea and, and tell me, how does it taste? And then now take the, the plastic cup and, and, and drink it. How does it taste? And then the metal cup and how does it taste? And how, how does the tea differ in, in all these cups? And the student says, you know, huh? Uh, it doesn't taste <laughs> different at all. It all tastes the same. <clears throat> and then the, the teacher says to the student, we obsess over the cups. We want a fancier and better cup. And then we miss the point of life. You know, we, 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 the, the point of life is to enjoy the tea. It's, it's not about getting a better cup every single time. And the cup symbolizes a better house, a better car, better clothes. And I think the problem that Peiwen and I go through is that we get sucked into the, the world of desire and cravings of always wanting a better cup. And we don't apply the three rules there. We either accept, okay, let's just get a better cup. Or we, we don't go with, no, we're going to leave it. And then we, we don't try to solve that problem. We just kind of get stuck in, and we never make a decision with it. We're just always in this constant, I don't know, do we get a better one? Don't we? Do we? And then it just always is in the, it's taking up cognitive space and cognitive capacity all the time. And I think recently, I've just started journaling about it and, and, and realizing that I have to make a decision in the now we have to make a choice to no longer be obsessed over the cup to go. I'm just going to leave it. And look, I know that thought of getting another house is going to creep back into my head at some point, but in the last couple of weeks, Paywin and I are making the decision that we're no longer going to be looking. I felt so much better because instead of at night, always going onto realestate.com.au and continually scrolling through and looking at houses, I've now freed up that time and space to actually play with my son. <laughs> yeah. But I've had to use that model to go, you know what? We're leaving it. I'm leaving it. And I know that's going to creep back in. I bloody know it. But it's just in the, in the time and space that I've been able to create just by making that decision to leave it. Damn it. That was powerful. Yep. I love that. I think even when, when you were saying that, I think the cup and the tea analogy is really cool. Because what that really, to me, felt like was about alignment, right? Like when, you, when you're thinking about that, it, it might not necessarily even be about like how nice a house is or what it feels like. It's like kind of aligning the tea with the cup, right? Because you don't want to sit there drinking the tea and then worrying, oh, geez, did we spend too much on the cup? Was the cup a little bit too extravagant? You just want to kind of drink the tea. Like, or, or you don't want to be drinking the tea being like, oh, this cup's pretty dirty, um, am I going to get sick from drinking tea from this cup? You know, so again, yeah. if you go back to the concept in this book, it's kind of like, well, how do you get firstly into the point where you're actually positioned well enough to be able to enjoy the tea? And then from there, if you can just kind of accept the cup for what it is, whether it's a new cup, an old cup, <laughs> a different cup, someone else's cup, then you have that freedom to kind of a, to experience that cup in whatever way you choose to at that moment. Whereas say if we go by the book and it's like call it the more mind, you know, the mind identified state, which is like the crazy sort of mind where you're like questioning the cup and you're going like, is this the right cup? Did we spend too much on the cup? It's like, as soon as that 
condition exists, I think it's automatically going to be really hard to enjoy the tea. Mm. Right. So when you were, when you were saying that, I'm like, well, there's no necessarily <laughs> right or wrong answer. Like in, in this case, you came to the end conclusion that where I'm at right now, call it for that karma. Like if you, the way that you finished that off, like you found peace at the moment mm. by not worrying about changing the cup. Well, by leaving right, that was by leaving the cup for now. Right. And that might've just been yeah. you weighing up all the different things that are going on in your life or whatever it is. And it's like, well, right now, maybe this cup or changing the cup isn't the move. We need to just wait. Well, I'm going to enjoy the now by playing with Xander because I don't want to, because that's the other thing, right? Like with that type of cup change as well, like buying a house is a big thing. It's like, you have to sell, maybe you might need to sell your current house. You then have to find a new one. You have to go through the process. You've got to get furniture. You've got to make so many different decisions that mm. are ultimately going to take bandwidth in the now at some point. Well, it's, the, the reason why I decided to leave it is because as I was journaling, what I realized was what I'm in now is what I once said I wanted. And then I'll get what I want now. And then in 10 years time, I will want something else. Okay. So I, I'm not solving the deeper problem here. I'm, it, it's the classic thing you hear about. You, you're just going to be, you, you'll still be the same person just in a different cup you'll still be suffering from the exact same issues thinking that the cup is the solution, right? It's, it, it's, it's one of the, it, it's a cl another classic example is in relationships, right? And when, you know, we won't mention any names here and call out our friends, but we've, we've got friends as well that think to themselves that when I find the right person, that's going to solve all of my problems. And then they get in the relationship and then nothing changes. Yeah. And then because they don't realize that they're not solving the root of the problem. Mm -hmm. And Tying it back to this book, what the author is saying is that the root of all evil is that we are not living in the present. We are not learning to be more present. And we're not willing to do the hard work because it's bloody hard work. Like, you, you, you know, we're texting each other back and forth. Like, how hard is it to be present or while we're reading this book and trying to do the experiments of being more yeah. present? But we're texting each other because we're being distracted yeah. from reading the book. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's... It's not if you don't do some of this internal work. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how many things you have. It doesn't matter how nice your house is. You know, I I, I feel like to think that wealthy people don't suffer that that's one of the biggest illusions that there is ever, right? In in that, yeah. If if yeah, if you don't start doing some of this internal work first, it. Getting that new place, it doesn't increase your enjoyment. Whereas I think if you do do some of the internal work, and then maybe once you've kind of fixed some of the things that that, that are going on inside, maybe then it helps you to be able to then enjoy the place if you do get it, right? I don't think it's about not getting it. It's just about not using that as a quick fix. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah. and even when you think about just the world at the moment, like say, call it, the first world and the developing world, even I think being present in the moment and like connected to everything that is call it in the now is actually a lot more difficult probably in the first world. Whereas in the developing world, you spoke about that hierarchy of needs. Like if you are living sort of more worrying, you know, like if the big focus is around food, air, shelter, clean water, automatically, present moment awareness is probably going to be 
a lot stronger. You know, your connectedness to your family and your tribe is going to be a lot stronger. Whereas mm. I think in, in the world that we might live in, and you, you mentioned there even call it like people that are very successful or wealthy, I think that mm. detachment of reality becomes nearly bigger. So you're right. Like we speak to a lot of people that on paper are very successful, but then when you dig a bit deeper, you see just deep levels of dissatisfaction and unhappiness even there. You know, one of the things that really, really stood out and was almost scary reading this in the book was that the author talks about how the reason why the human race seeks out drugs, alcohol, uh, short forms of pleasure, right? Mm. You know, whether it's food, sex, whatever, mm. is because we're trying to escape for a moment that mind of ours that is always active, always controlling, always manipulative, right? That's why we seek out those, those momentary breaks where we, where we just – otherwise, the author wrote, if, we, if human beings didn't have some kind of escape and didn't seek that kind of escape, we would, we would just all explode. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's we would all just – fall apart. Mm. And, and it was just, it was just a scary thought that I never thought of the mind as being that dude. You know, it's, it's, but I, but I, but I can see how my, and, and I think one of the biggest realizations I've had in this book is that I create my own suffering, man. That is, that is just so bonkers. Mm. That, I, that I'm, yeah. I'm causing my own pain, dude. Like I used to think other people are creating my own pain. Life situations and circumstances create my pain. But it's, 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 and again, it's, it's, I'm only just slightly to grasp this one. And, and what I'm grasping is that I am the creator of the suffering in my own life, which means I am also the person that can release myself of this suffering. Yeah. That's messed up. <laughs> just as you were saying that, I remember a note that I had from one of the first readings. It's like mm. when my brain is telling me that I'm awesome and everything is awesome, you know, like the Lego movie, like everything is awesome. awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's good it's, yeah. <laughs> it's like, then there was a, like the second part of the night, it's like, maybe it's not awesome and this is a trick. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the second part to that. Oh my God. Where, and it's like the, the book just completely oh. changes. Like all those things that gave me those dopamine hits where I'm oh. like, oh, my God, Ali, that move was just amazing. You genius. Like how did you pull that off? It's like, hey, wait a second. This could be a trap. And <laughs> <laughs> this could lead me. We should go celebrate by having 15 beers. Like this is a great oh. – <laughs> it's like, hey, wait a second. That doesn't sound like good advice. But, hey, we, we, we did the last move together, so why not? And I just started imagining like – you know, it's nearly like, I don't know, the angel and the devil mentality where mm. you've got like this one. It's like, oh, we should all be present and zen. And then there's like the ego side, which is like, hey, let's go do some cool shit. Um, it'll be so much fun. And then we'll, we'll sort it out later. It's fine. And you're right. It can sometimes these types of books can cause that conflict where it's like, okay, well, I'm getting a thought right now. Is that is that present? or call it, you know, Zen version of me, or is this ego version that's about to go make some messed up move that we're going to have to solve later. And I think that's a really, really challenging part with 
potentially making the transition to apply some of the things from this book because it's nearly like ignorance is bliss, right, in some ways. But then on the other side, is there a massive benefit if you find some of the beauty in the lessons in these books because it can enhance, call it the life situation stuff that we are talking about before? I still somewhere in my head feel like if I was always present, yep. I'd be a potato. <laughs> Do you know, I, 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 yeah. I, I just, I'm, I'm I, again, virgin talking here. I yeah. just, I just feel like I'd just be a potato. <laughs> I, 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 okay. I, whatever that line was, I want Peter to cut that. That is genius. <laughs> virgin talking here. I am a potato. It's like just that as a soundbite. Perfect. That is perfect. That is the that is the moment of the podcast. I think we're thirty five oh, episodes man. in. That is yep. it. That's that's the bit I want. Yeah. Like on repeat in my headphones. There, there, there may be no other <laughs> podcast that we ever do after this one because I've just become a potato. <laughs> a virgin potato. <laughs> yeah, a virgin potato. Dude, but just just real you quick. go to pay when hey, after this on. and you're like. Okay, hey, Payway, I want to. I want to tell you something. I've just realised. What? Stop everything. Stop. Yeah. What? Payway made this potato dish the other night, where she <laughs> she 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 boiled potatoes, and then she took the potatoes and then she crushed the potatoes. So she flattened the little mini potatoes. She flattened them, then she drizzled them with garlic oil, and then she popped them into the oven and then made them all nice and crispy. And then we took the crispy smashed potatoes and then dipped it in just a range of amazing sauces and unbelievable. I was there. Unbelievable. It was amazing. Oh, you were there. Oh, yeah, you were there. It was so it was so good that I forgot your presence. And I was I was so in the moment of now. I went, oh god, that was so yummy. It's the first time you've spoken about one of these dishes where I'm not feeling envy or jealousy because I was actually there and I got to experience it. And then remember there was a normal, like just normal standard roast potatoes, and they were just getting neglected off to the side. The dumbest way to eat potatoes ever. The du- I'd never want to eat potatoes like that ever again because the crisp and the garlic infused oh. oven baked crunchiness of the potato dipped in sauce and then light sprinkles of salt. Oh. <laughs> so yummy. Sorry, you just talking about potatoes made me thought about potatoes. No. But we see, yeah. to me, I think when I eat really yummy food, I do get really present in the moment. And, yeah. and, and the reason I brought this up is that, I mean, it, it's like everything. We, we always have the same conclusion. We need to make a shirt because it's, it's always about both. You know, you, you uh, uh, look, I'm at a stage in my life where I'm 35, turning 36. I, I don't think that I always want to be always and forever present right now in my life. I think inevitably I'm going to fall victim to my mind using me damn you mind. And then I know that I'm going to be able to use my mind as well. And then I'm also going to be, try to find more moments of being present because I know that I'm definitely not being present enough. But if I just adopt this and then I'm present all the time, Mm. I'd just be a bland potato. Yeah. You wouldn't be a smashed, dipped in oil. Smashed, dipped in oil, oven baked. Dipped no, in no. multiple different sources. Yeah. <laughs> just be raw, <laughs> raw, unpeeled. <laughs> Pantry potato, <laughs> which is well, so sad. Such a sad yeah, visual. So sad. So sad. I mean. No, but I love that. I, I, I think that's that's the beauty about this. And 
the book doesn't tell us, right, that you have to denounce your identity and just be completely monk-like. You know, I think the, the beauty of this book that I found is you can take certain ingredients from it and then just play around with them and see. Like one of, one of yeah. my favourite lines in the book where mm-hmm. it has just like these random questions that get you to reflect. And it's like yeah. well, one of the tools that you can use for presence is just like even like I'm, I just remembered it just then and I was thinking about it while you were speaking. It's like can you feel any energy in your body right now, mm-hmm. you know, like consciousness in your body while you're just doing something really normal? Right now, that doesn't mean that we're now denouncing, like it doesn't mean that we have to sit here and meditate for 45 minutes quietly to feel presence. It just means Mm -hmm. that while you're listening or while you're engaging in a conversation, can you feel like your hands tingling or can you feel your breath at all? And I'm like, something that simple like that. I love that just while you're going through just normal things, like whether it's playing with the kids or having a meeting. And when I remember that little line, it just enhances the quality of that experience a little bit more than if I'm in a one hour meeting and then at the end of it, it just feels like that one hour just flew by and I was just so attached to whatever was happening in there and what I wanted out of the meeting and what the outcomes of the meeting were meant to be. And it's like these little shifts where you can take small ingredients from these types of teachings. You can just play around with them, experiment, then see, okay, does that improve your experience on a day-to-day basis. And then for some people, it'll be like, no, nah, that felt weird. Don't want to do it. I'm not ready for it yet. It's completely fine too. Um, and I think that's that's what I love that you I love what you said before. It's it's always about finding the middle, finding what works, what you want to play around with. Well, that, that means that the way to practice being more present, what you're saying is, and what the author's saying is, mm. to continually ask yourself the questions. Can I yeah. feel, you know, the, the, can I feel my finger? And I tell you what, I rarely ask myself any of those questions. And therefore, when I reflect back on my life, I don't think I feel my body at all because I am so engrossed in my mind. I'm so like all of the energy that I have lives here. It lives in my head. I I, I barely, and you always say this, every time we do meditations together, you're always like, feel the tingling in your fingers. I'm like, <laughs> I don't even, I can't even feel my fingers. I have no hands. I no. have no hands. I, I have like, I'm nothing but my thoughts and my emotions. That's all I am. You know, and it's, it's, it's so interesting that, again, just such brand new concepts to me that when you just sit there and ask yourself these questions over and over and over again, it forces you to be more present. It really does yeah. because it makes you more aware. And, and I remember Craig, one of our good friends, Craig, he, he, he's my videographer and I love the guy. He's one of my best mates. And he loves physics and you just wouldn't guess it. Cause when you look at him, you're like, this guy doesn't know nothing about physics. And, <laughs> and he is, he just loves physics, loves, loves space and everything. And is, is really, really, really surprised. We had Craig started talking about like astrophysics and science. I know. Like, it did, did. It's <laughs> like, first I saw him squirt like half a bottle of sauce at a meat pie. And then he's like, while he's chewing, he's like, yeah, yeah. Just like talking about Einstein's theory of relativity and stuff. And I'm like, didn't see that coming. So shout I did out not to see that guy. He's got like a little <laughs> eyebrow ring and he was wearing a cap and he looks like a skater boy. And then he just opens his mouth and talks about quantum yeah, physics. Yeah. And I'm like, it's like, so Holly, do you want to go to see like Neil deGrasse Tyson at the upcoming show? I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, right. The number of times, the number of times where he talks and I'm like, huh? It's just outrageous. I've done it so many times. And well, he told me about something called the quantum Zeno effect, right? And mm. that that is the effect where 
if you, and I'm going to butcher this, but when you constantly observe something, it, it, the thing you observe, it doesn't react. It just freezes or it changes the way it reacts, right? And, and upon observing something, it impacts the way it moves, it, whatever. Okay, see, I, I know nothing about quantum physics. <laughs> but but, but what, what, what I'm trying to say there is that the more you observe your thoughts and your actions, mm-hmm. that actually has an impact. It actually has an impact. So it's, so it's important to, if you want to be present, continually ask yourself the questions, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? And then resist. Don't analyze it. Just go, oh, those are the thoughts. And I love the metaphor you gave right at the start because this has helped me so much, Ali, in this process mm. where now I just look, I go, what am I thinking? Oh, that's what I'm thinking. And then I just wave goodbye to it. That simple little mind hack you gave me, I just, I go, oh, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit frustrated at the moment. Oh, that's interesting. And you just wave goodbye to it. It's all good. Mm. Okay, that's cool. That's a cool thought. All right, whatever. And, and that has changed it all for me in when there are moments where I start to feel really overwhelmed and there are moments where I can feel some of that anxiety coming in because I'm thinking too much about the future, I just immediately go to the question, what, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? Wave goodbye to it. And then on top of that, like what you just mentioned now to really reiterate the toolkit for people is to go, oh, can I feel my hands? Can I feel my feet? Can I? And just go into your body. And that, that, I mean, the author spent a whole chapter talking about this, but that's, the importance of going into your body and not using all of the energy that you have in your head, but directing some of it down into your body. And and when you direct it down into your body, that is how you become more present. That's why I guess in meditation, what you're focusing on is the breath, taking that deep breath in and then feeling your diaphragm. And then the moment you do that and you go into your body, guess what? There's not much thinking happening. Yeah, for sure. And I think I got it explained to me a few years ago by someone like the actual science behind meditation. And it was the first time that like, I always thought that meditation was just about, you know, like having no thoughts and just breathing. And it felt very sort of, you know, esoteric and out there. And then somebody was explaining the actual science and they were talking about like how we have different types of brain waves that go through our mind. Mm. And mm-hmm. they use the analogy of, you know, our brain can be as wild as like an ocean where there's 60 foot waves crashing or it can be as still as a steady stream, right? Where you're completely at peace and there's nothing on there. And the thing is, is like all of that is around observing what's going on in the mind right now. But when the waves are crashing and you're in a 60 foot storm, it's really, really hard to turn that into a stream. Like you have Mm. to wait for that to subside, to paddle out. You need potentially need medication. You need, other toolkits, you need, you know, a bigger boat to get you through that storm to get you out of it. Um, but you can then go down those levels. So like, even when you think about the, the core concept behind mantra meditation, where you just repeat the same word over and over in your head, that the, the science behind that is that it just steadies the stream. And then after a while, if you do that, most people recommend for 20 minutes or so, and you really focus in on those one words, the thoughts, those 60 foot waves, they just keep subsiding. And then the longer you practice it for, then, you know, you might have two foot waves that you can easily turn into a stream rather than 60 foot waves. So it's, it's you know, like people say, yeah, like most people that you speak to, 
very similar to working out and going to the gym. They'll be like, yeah, I meditated for a while. Um, and then it just either got too boring or I didn't need it anymore or whatever. Like I found myself when I'm like, oh yeah, I don't really need to meditate today or whatever. It usually means that I do need to meditate even more because mm. I'm now identified more with the bigger waves. Um, and then I'm not really going from that calm stream position. So that's just a way – Uh, like a really cool kind of toolkit that I learned a while ago around thinking of your mind and your thoughts in terms of the severity of the waves that are occurring at the moment. Um, And then using the presence or journaling or meditation or therapy or whatever it is that you need to then see if you can then lower those waves. But I love things where you nearly have like, especially things that are a bit subjective and out there. I like things where you can put in some type of measurable, or metric around it, or having little frameworks just to do a quick self-analysis. You know, like we were talking a bit before about those questions. Like you ask yourself these questions as little check-ins to see where you're at. Um, the wave analogy is a pretty cool kind of um, scorecard just to say, okay, what does it feel like right now? You gave me a, a new way of looking at meditation, and it's that and I've, I've, I mean, I know you do it all the time and, and you've, you've been really good with it. M- me, not so much because I, I'm addicted to thinking. And the, what's given me clarity is that the reason I don't meditate is because I'm addicted to thinking. And for me, doing something that doesn't allow me to think for 10 to 15 minutes is frightening. It's just, like, well, why would I do that? I could be thinking. Why not think? I mean, I love thinking. Thinking is great. Thinking is addictive. Thinking feels good. So then as a result of that, I don't, I don't engage in it, mm. but what I've learned and I've reframed in this podcast right now is that when I, if I meditate, I will be able to use my mind more as opposed to having it just use me. Whereas when I don't give my mind breaks and I, I, I don't observe it, then I get lost in it. Mm. But the more I observe it, it means I, I pull out and I'm on top of it. Otherwise, if I get too far in, then it's on top of me. And meditation is the process of you just getting on top of it so that you use your mind as the tool. The mind doesn't use you as the tool. And that frame now makes me more excited to meditate. Whereas That's I how never I had, had that myself before. as well. It was the same really? for me. I'm like, yeah, huh. I'm like, oh, like I, I got into this to enhance my thinking and creativity. Yeah. Because yep. so much of the research was showing that, okay, like if you, if you do meditate and journal and you do these things, it's going to improve the quality of your thinking. So when mm-hmm. I started off that journey, it was around enhancing the quality of those moves that I'd actually apply um, in my world. It wasn't, you know, because it was a search for peace or enlightenment or anything like that. It was just yeah. the practical form of, okay, how can I use this tool, which is the mind better? Um, mm. as a bit of an optimizer. So, and and then after a while when you experiment with it, then you start seeing, all right, are there practical benefits? Like Because then I started measuring it too. I'm like, okay, on days when I meditate, do I make better mm. decisions? Or do I go through the day better? Am I, are my interactions of a high quality? You know, like, because that's the other part is like when you're using the logical side of your brain, it's like, okay, well, will that investment of 20 minutes give me any return? Because the first few times I did, I'm like, oh, well, I don't know. Nothing's really happened. 
You know, and it's like it's like a bit like going to the gym, right? Like, like oh, I did six bicep curls. Well, I don't have big guns right now. Like, what's yeah, know, going that's on? So confusing. <laughs> Obviously, meditation doesn't work, and the gym doesn't work either. I've come to the same conclusion. <laughs> yeah, 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 and then people are like, "Oh yeah, no, you just like." And then there's also extreme. Like, if you even think about things like steroids, right? They're, mm. they're just ways to get that outcome quicker. Like, say on this side of the world, it's probably doing hallucinogenics or mm. doing magic mushrooms or whatever. You just get to fast track that that outcome. Um, you get a glimpse into what it might be like, but it might not be very sustainable. Mm. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, that's, a, that's our little jam on, on meditation. The other cool thing in the book is that there's probably five or six different types of meditation that he, he just throws away as little paragraphs inside mm-hmm. the book, but- I just love them. Like, I don't know Can if you, you took notes. Do you, do you have notes on them? I've got so many notes, I can't even find it on my phone. Do you have them there or not? Well, well yeah, I've got one of them. I don't have all yep. five, but I, I think I took, took note of this one because it- All right, I've got one here. I've got all one right, too. Uh, who, who goes first? <laughs> <laughs> you go first. <laughs> Okay. I can see. I can see it in your eyes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, no. Well, well the reason I, I got excited over this is that I tried it, and it yeah. was awesome. Yeah, I'll talk, I'll talk you through my experience. So, right, so essentially, the meditation is when you wake up in the morning. The first thing you do is <clears throat> get yourself into a comfortable position, whether you're sitting or you're laying down, and then just start to feel each individual part of your body. Start to just take your focus and put it all into your feet, and just really feel how your feet feels. Feel every single cell if you can. Go to that or that that little tiny little part. Just feel every single toe, feel the ball of your feet, and then start to feel your calves, and then up to your knee, and then feel your thighs, and then feel your bum, and then just feel every single part of your body. And, and as you're doing that, really, just when you're feeling, you're not thinking. You're just in your body, and you're not in your mind. And he says after you've feel every single part of your body, then just feel, focus the energy as a wave going from the top of your head, down to your toes, down your toes, up to the top of your head, up and down, up and down, up and down. And then just feel yourself as one whole body, right? And so I read and I went, you know, when I read, I was like, what the hell is this? This is the weirdest thing I've ever come across, but I just, I'm trying to adopt the mindset. Don't judge it. Just try it. It's what does that good. sound at the beginning? Calm down. <laughs> what? Just, just calm down. Yeah, you, you see, you don't get the sound right, Ali. It's you got to. It's. I felt like we're. It's got I feel really like, kind of I felt like we were in harmony there. I just added a different type of sound. Also, it's you know, different. It's, it's different. You just, just got to accept different, different sounds. No, okay. no, I don't want. There's to. not. There's not a one correct type of don't, sound. Don't ruin that sound for me, Ali. There's only one way to make that sound. It's the way I make it. <laughs> Oh, apologies to everyone listening. I'm so sorry, everyone. But but you see, so when I when I went took myself through that, the most astonishing. I mean, it's meant to be a healing meditation. What what he was saying is that when you do this, you actually help your body heal, and and that's again that's when it went a little bit woo woo for me. But while I did it, the best thing I got out of it, it took me about 10, 15 minutes. The best thing I got out of it was that I wasn't thinking. Hmm. I maybe spent. of my energy cognitively just thinking through, okay, I'm going to feel my hands now. All right. And that's it. Whereas all of my, it felt like all of my mental energy 
And it's weird to say it's your mental energy, but it was all in my body. And when I got out of that, my mind just felt refreshed because I wasn't thinking. And that's when it felt like I was on top of my mind as opposed to my mind was on top of me. Right. I felt the benefit of that healing or not. You know, I'm sure you have to do it for a lot before you experience some of that healing powers. But I, I, yeah, I just felt extremely calm for, for about five minutes before my my mind came rushing back in and going, you've got to do this today. You've got this to do today. Hey, have you prepared for that? And it just (laughs) went crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. What what about your meditation? What what what's no, that, that was one. I had the same one. I like. You had the same one. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I found another one here. Right, so there's another one, pretty similar here, where it's follow the breath with your attention as it moves in and out of the body. So breathe into the body and feel your abdomen expanding and contracting slightly with each each inhalation and exhalation. So I love that image of just like the belly getting filled and then kind of releasing it. Mm. Yeah, I'm just trying it now. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you find it easy to visualize, close your eyes and see yourself surrounded by light or immersed in a luminous substance, a sea of consciousness. Then breathe in that light, feel the luminous substance filling up your body and making it luminous also. And gradually focus more on the feeling. You are now in your body. Don't get attached to any visual image. I'm attached to the visual image now. (laughs) It's because he said, don't get attached to the visual image. I just, I love the, it's like I'm, uh, what I'm imagining now is like I'm breathing in this light. And then as I breathe in a light, it makes me brighter. Yeah. And I love that image. So that's why I'm attached to it. Yeah. And that's that one. I just like the feel of that. Like, I think there's something mm. cool about the air just going deep into your belly. Yeah. And then as it goes into your belly, like, that's how I find that I feel a bit more tingling in my hands and other areas as well. So, you know, the other one that you mentioned before, that's more like a body scan where you're consciously mm. looking at different parts like your head, your fingers, your, your knees, your toes. Mm. Whereas I kind of like this one nearly as like, it's a real simple one. It's like, okay, even when I'm driving or whatever. So, just one into the belly. Through the nose, dude. I, I did. Hands, I did three breaths three. while you were talking, and I feel better already. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty chilled. Like these freaking the nice little resets, right? And like you can, you can do that a hundred times throughout the day. Right? You get that mm. stressful email from the boss. It's like, all right, let's just breathe into the belly, close our mm. eyes, laugh, and then we'll just type, detaching from the actual emotion of the email. Click send. Off you go. Do a bit more breathing and. That whole situation that might have caused like an hour of mental and emotional pain could potentially be solved in nine breaths. So yeah, it could become it a little would, productivity hack as well. Mm, depending I mean, on, uh, it, it it's still strange in that that email from the boss one. Mm. You get the email, you take a few yep. breaths mm-hmm. to detach from it all. Yeah. But the emails are still waiting for you there. Yeah, but but no, but what about while you're breathing, you're responding to it, but rather than being fully attached to it, you're just observing it. You're just observing yourself responding mm. to the email, detaching from any animosity, any emotional right, feeling okay. towards the boss. You know, like you're more focused on how you're breathing 
and what's going on in your belly. Like you're more focused on the sounds of the keys while you're typing, you know, the um, individual words rather than, oh, I'm going to like reply with additional levels of passive aggression. I'm going to get all these feelings of like hate ah. out on paper, you know, so it's more like you're, you're replying as the observer and you're replying as somebody who's just conscious in your own body. This was in the relate. This was in the relationships chapter where mm. he talks about relationships, where he talks about the knowing versus the reacting, mm-hmm. right? Whereas when when a negative emotion comes up for you, be in the knowing of the reaction. Meaning, just go. Oh, that's interesting. This emotion is coming up for me. Oh, look. It's almost like you say, "I'm glad I I am aware of this emotion, and now I know that this emotion is here," as opposed to going. I'm going to fight it and react to it and rah, yeah. right? So instead yeah. of doing that, you just kind of go, oh, yeah, that's mm-hmm. – I'm, I'm aware of this. Rea- and I'm grateful that this emotion has come up because it's made me aware of the situation that's in front of me. And instead of diving into it and, and, get, and getting entangled in it, you just kind of just stay in the knowing. Mm-hmm. And I just – I thought that was, was a really cool concept of the knowing versus the reacting. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And even like, I think another really cool example of that is road rage. Mm. And like, I think when you, you know, and this is no offense to anyone that experiences levels of road rage, but Mm. I think that this type of practice is a great, like road rage is a great thing. If you're somebody that does love their road rage and if you get you can't imagine anything worse than getting cut off by somebody while you're driving like just detaching yourself from that initial emotional reaction of beeping the horn getting out of your car and punching through their window um trying to process it in a different way might allow that driving experience to be a little bit more peaceful um, and yeah. if you think about like the, like the book talks about whether you're being conscious or unconscious, like we have some of, you know, nearly knowing and trying to observe which of my reactions here are a little bit more unconscious and which are conscious, right? Like which I think the book talks about uh, is this emotion sort of rooted in fear, guilt, resentment, anger, right? They're probably more unconscious reactions versus mm. is this emotional reaction rooted in love, joy, playfulness um they're probably more conscious types of emotions um or actions it's like how do you then change the filter of how you're viewing that experience right like is it is it objectively bad if somebody cuts you off in traffic or is that something that you can then potentially get past without having to punch them in the face who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe you don't want to. You know, like that's a very enjoyable part of your day. But if it then causes you pain after that experience, um, then maybe it's one worth reflecting on a little bit more. It's very consistent with the Stoics, isn't it? Yeah, this book is. Yeah, it's very yeah. consistent. I mean, Stoicism. It, it's so. Yep. There's so many commonalities between that and this. Taoism, Buddhism. Like I think he references yeah. Christianity a lot. Like there's. Well, it's, I think the, the, the a, lot, a lot of religions are steeped in elevating forms of consciousness, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, but then at, at their core, regardless of what you believe in and whether you have a religion or not, those that do follow doctrines 
when a large number of them are based in, you know, being present, being part of a community, being moral, whatever that may mean. And then obviously sometimes the religions don't get it right and then they're used Mm. on the other end, you know? And like, if you think about when religions get it wrong, usually it's egoic, you know, and it's based on the ego. It's like, all right, somebody's looking for power and control or war or they want their religion to be the only one or the best one. And then it kind of shifts. Um, so that's when the interpretation maybe changes a little bit. When when you think about religions, most religions have a form of heaven. Mm. And if you take what this book is saying and you apply it to the idea of heaven, then it kind of doesn't make sense because if you if you start to go, well, I can't wait to get to heaven, that means you're living in the future. And that means you're not present because the idea that there's a heaven means that the present is hell. If you kind of follow Eckhart's style of thinking. And, and that's kind of true though, isn't it? In in that if, if you think the better day is coming, then obviously you'll suffer now because that creates again, that gap. Which is, which is kind of, what the, you know, it's kind of, that, that's, that's interesting in itself in that a lot of religions promise that, oh, that, that, you know, that, that place we're going to get to where everything's going to be bloody awesome. You know, when you get to eat fried potatoes every day and then not get fat. So it's just, if you think that's real, then all of a sudden you're, you're now it sucks and you keep chasing that thing. So it, it's right when, you know, in, in, in you saying, and whether it's wrong or not, who the hell knows, but it's just an interesting thought process to go through yeah yeah that's why one of the most important things to do is to to question things and to be curious right it's just mm-hmm. and that's what i think um i think the dalai lama talks about mm. that in buddhism like that's one of the core tenets it's always about like obviously there's some pretty strict rules and guidelines if you're practicing it fully and again, I'm no expert on Buddhism. Um, I'm not a practice Buddhist or anything like that. But I just remember in reading one of his books, he's like, you know, our a big part of our doctrine is like you, you don't cause suffering, you know, you don't hurt other living beings. Like that's a big part. But then recently as he's gotten older, he's been recommended as part of his diet that he needs to eat meat, which really goes against that core tenant. But then he's like, but I'm still learning. I'm still evolving. I'm still doing it with balance. You know, I've got gratitude for the animal that I'm eating. Um, but I also know that this is something that I need to nourish my body. So it's like, you know, a lot of people that potentially follow Buddhism or really look up to him might be like, hey, you're just conflicted with one of the real core values here where mm. we don't we don't eat meat, but now you're eating meat. But then the whole angle there is, well, okay, well, it's still all about learning and adapting and and we change. And I think that's kind of cool. Like when you see religions that have really strong rules, like actually evolve and then adapt mm. with how the world changes as well. Right. Like some of these religions were the core of them were written 2000, 2500 years ago. Yeah. Um, it's just like science, right. It'd be like saying that when everyone thought, you know, the world was completely, and some people still do think <laughs> yeah, that the world's completely flat. And then that's proven different. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, well, are we still using <clears throat> old science for a new well, world? 
Well, it's what we always talk about, right? The reason you and I read and the reason we we encourage other to encourage each other to keep learning is because we want to continually update the operating system. Mm. Right? We 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 don't want to be on Windows 95. We want to be able to update our brain with new information, with new ways of thinking that's going to help us live a more fulfilling life. Whereas I think one of the dangers of never updating the operating system is that you you no longer can exist in today's world and be able to use the applications that have just been released. I think there's, there's, a, there's, and this is just in life in general, there's a danger to subscribing to one way of thinking and then never updating your beliefs and values based on new information that has surfaced. Hmm. I think, and then this, and this book has been that for me because I, I think in a way I've been avoiding books like this and I've been avoiding, I guess, exploring spirituality because I'm afraid of it. Hmm. And, and the thing that I was afraid of during this book, I experienced, you know, reading it was exciting, scary, and confronting all at the same time. Because I've never really read a book, Ali, that I, I found really hard to understand. Right? It, it, was, it, it felt like it reminded me of when I sat in a physics class and I, I'd been, you know, been wagging school for bloody you know, half the term. And then I go to school and then we're on chapter seven and I, I just understood nothing. I just looked at the words. I was like, I don't know what the hell's going on here. And that was really uncomfortable for me. I was just super uncomfortable. So I, I ask you this, being someone who's read this book multiple times. I am creating my own suffering. I know it, dude. I know it to the core. That When I was reading this book, I'm like, my thinking and my overthinking and my obsessive thinking and my addictive thinking is causing me a lot of suffering unnecessarily. So being someone who's practiced a lot of these lessons in the book, what do I do? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I've, I've, I've started detaching myself. I've started to yeah. moments where I feel that I go, okay, all right, man, just take a step back. Look at the thoughts, wave goodbye to them. Look at the emotions, wave goodbye to them. Is there anything that we haven't mentioned in this book that you think is important? I mean, there's the, the questions we ask ourselves. Mm-hmm. There's the meditation, mm-hmm. right? There's also the, the the holistic realization that you are not your thoughts. You are not your emotions. You, you're separate to that. You're just the observer of it all. Is there anything we've missed? I think a couple of parts to that question. Uh-huh. Like, what do you do? I think you're doing it right now. Like, it's all a learning journey, right? So just even from hearing you speak throughout this episode – like one of the big things that it speaks about is just awareness. Like the fact that from this book or whatever journey you've been on recently, that as you're now going through, call it the normal thinking process, there'll probably be a voice in the back of your head being like, okay, am I aware of what's going on right now? Am I just running with it? Now that doesn't mean that you completely solve it, right? Like, and it also depends on what your goals are. Like, as you said earlier, you might not want to let go of the amount of thinking that you're doing or to diminish, you know, the quality of that because your thinking does serve you for the most part pretty well. So it might just be slight readjustments just to maybe give yourself a little break or to practice a meditation here or there or whatever, whatever tools you might choose. Um, mm. But yeah, it's, it's like, I don't think there is one silver bullet solution to these things. It's more around what aligns with you at that moment in time 
and which bits of the teaching um, or the lessons you actually want to then implement. Because we were speaking about this earlier, right? One of the hardest things I think about spirituality and meditation and reading these books is just the core of the simplicity of the lessons, right? Like it's one of the reasons why I think it's been something that's been very hard for people to Mm. commercialize. Like when you tell somebody, hey, you just need to take five breaths and you're going to feel amazing or you need to sit with your eyes closed for 20 minutes. Um, There's a lot of simplicity in that. But then practicing that with a lot of awareness is so difficult. You know, and on a consistent basis because it is potentially boring. It is tedious. It's hard to prioritize the time because of the way that our minds work. Like the amount of times that you'll be like, oh, yep, I'm going to meditate every day for 20 minutes. But then you get a nine o'clock meeting or you have to go on a flight or like something in life just comes across and it's like oh well i can't prioritize sitting there quietly for 20 minutes i'm going to get yelled Mm. at by my partner i can't miss a meeting because i want to sit like imagine that like oh sorry i can't do a keynote um at 10 o'clock because i generally meditate at 10 for 20 minutes so can you just push that back 20 minutes like so there's there's some probably some practical life situation realities here but then it just depends on what you then want to implement i think and from there and and i think one of the things that i always go back to and we we speak about this like for me personally I want to still be very active in the world and like, you know, engage with quotation marks, life situations, but I just want mm. to improve my level of peace when I'm going mm. through all those moves. Like I don't want there ever to be a feeling of real like angst or avoid sort of stress. And and for me that generally like what I've realized over the years is that comes from when things are really attached to my sense of identity, right? So I think one of the things that we probably haven't, dug that deep into is just the concept of the ego and mm-hmm. you know in simple terms that's just how we view ourselves like how our mind views itself our identity like say for example like things like ego might be like and ego isn't i think automatically people think when you use the word ego it's a bad thing right i don't think it is like we we think of ego as somebody that's being very egotistical and arrogant and all of that but ego is just the way that we view ourselves um, the labels that we put on things, the things that we potentially get attached to, right? So, and I remember going through these exercises, like we might have a level of attachment to Vin and Ali as podcast hosts, right? Now, all of a sudden, if Apple said, look, your podcast is no good, we're going to cancel you guys. Depending on how attached we were to that identity as podcast hosts, would probably experience different levels of pain. You know, would be like, mm. oh my God, I've, I've lost my my tool that we we used to share or I've lost my identity as a a top ranked podcast host and a, and a teacher or or whatever it is that you're attached to. So then for me, Mm. it's always having a healthy level of awareness to the things that we do and the roles that we play and knowing that they might be temporary just to enjoy and embrace them. So that's what I'm personally looking for is just peace in the journey and then mm. also a healthy level of both attachment and detachment to the things that I do have, um, the games that I play. There was this there was this part in the book where the author talks about how he was sitting in just the field and he got himself really present and then he was looking at a tree and he realized that he's never seen a tree mm. in the way that he's seeing it currently when he was present and he could feel he felt at one with the tree and he felt at one with the animals that he could see. 
and he felt like everything was connected and that he was truly present and almost a feeling of peace, like what you were saying. And there was a, this, this magnificent beauty that he experienced in that moment while he was sitting there. And it just, I've never looked at a tree or any animal like that before in my life. And I think that's what I want out of that. I, I, I want to be able to experience life like that here and there to start with, just here and there. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not asking every day to wake up and go, wow, I love this window. I love this chair. You know, I don't know if I'll ever be able to get there. And I, and I don't mean to say it in a mocking way. I do apologize. I, yeah. I know how that just came out. That came out a little bit mocky. It was a little bit mocky. I didn't mean it to be mocky. It's just- I was thinking about I, Anchorman. I, I, do you remember the movie Anchorman? Yeah. He's like, I love lamp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's I- and, and the reason I, I, I even guess the reason why I did it like that is because to me, it, it's still so <laughs> surreal to me. But it's just when I read that, I went, how often do I sit there and marvel at the beauty of my son? Mm. This beautiful little human, you know, that, that has his own personality, has his own little quirks, interests. And, and it's just, we don't. You know, we, we often seek the, the phone. We often seek, uh, you know, momentary pleasures because we're trying to escape the present. Whereas, again, just the realization that the present is all we have. I, I'm trying to take away from this, brother. I know you're trying to find peace in the moment. What I'm trying to find in the, in the moment is more beauty. Mm. You know, to sit in the beauty and, and, and actually take it in. Whereas... I know this is going to be a challenging road for me moving forward. And now that I'm aware of it, it's freaking me out because <laughs> now I know. Whereas when you didn't know, you're oblivious to it. Yeah. But now I know. And I think, like you said, the first step for me really is awareness of it. And you're right. You've helped me zone in on just that one word and it's awareness. Just, just catch yourself out. When, you, when, you're, when you're reaching for that mind and trying to engage in it so you can, you know, you, you can feel that sense of excitement, just take a step back. Be present. Try to enjoy the beauty that's in front of you. You know, it's, yeah, wow. It's a- that's cool. Even when you're saying awareness, I think the mm. other, you know, like before you mentioned peace and beauty sort of going in there. When you're saying awareness, I think the word acceptance also comes up. It's mm. like, just- also maybe just accepting it for what it is. Like when you are in that thinking mind, even if you have a level mm. of acceptance while you're going through that, it just might give that feeling of, okay, well, I've still got kind of control over the way that I'm experiencing this, you know, by acceptance. Like I'm not just getting dragged around. Um, it, if that if that's a feeling that you're feeling. Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely think that will help going down the accepting yeah. route. And, and, and now as I'm reflecting on it even more, what's really interesting, bro, is that I, I've been trying to use the toolkits of an entrepreneur to fix a lot of my unhappiness in my life. And it's funny because the toolkits of an entrepreneur that has allowed me to build what I've built is inadequate to be able to fix some of these other problems that I'm experiencing. You know, it's, 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 it's the, it's the old, and it's crazy. I don't know how I've survived this long without some of the most basic tools in spirituality, but it's like, 
It's like I, I didn't even have a screwdriver. And that's, you know, this feels like such a core tool to have to navigate life. But then also my other thoughts that I'm, I'm kind of just observing is that you, most people don't achieve or, or, or go down or go deep down the path of spirituality until they get older. So as much as I think it's a basic tool that I need, it, it's also, it's a tool that most people don't develop until they're much older. It, it seems like it's a much, it, as simple as it sounds, it does seem like it's a more complicated tool. And, and, and a quick note on that. I had a quick thought I wanted to share with everyone, and it, it's a really interesting thing. And, in, and I, I know I've talked about this before, but I, I want to just repeat it again in that when I show people a piece of magic, and again, for those of you who don't know me, I am part magician. I'm not just talking about woo-woo here, but I, I, I do sleight of hand to someone. <laughs> and when I do sleight of hand, it's just, at this point, they go, wow, he thinks he's... Does he actually think he's a wizard? That <laughs> <laughs> this book really changed your life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I, when, I, when I do my magic powers, but when I, when I show someone a trick and then I ask them how it's done, people immediately assume complexity. And I believe that as human beings, we are drawn to complexity because we can use complexity as an excuse for not doing something. Because if you, if you think, again, that you achieving your dreams is really complex. And if it's really complex, then that's an excuse you can use. Well, it's too hard. I would do that, but it's too hard. You know, I would quit my job and then start this thing, but that's too hard. So we can lean on complexity as an excuse. And I think that's why spirituality is so difficult because we fall for the same trap. We look at it and go, ah, oh, it's so complex. It's too hard. And, if, and, and, and we tend to attach complexity with effectiveness. We, we like it when, when you give us like a, you know, eight steps to or 14 or 15 steps to how to build a business. We go, oh, yeah, that's, that's value. I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting 15 steps. Yeah, oh, it's good. Whereas when, when it's simple as just take five deep breaths and, and focus on your breath, you go, no, get out of here, man. What kind of snake oil is this? Yeah. yeah. Make more sales. Yeah. Like- <laughs> yeah. Well, well, that's right. And, that's, and dude, you know what's crazy? I've been in the speaking industry now for bloody hell. I've been doing it since 2014 professionally. And one of the first pieces of advice I got from a speaker at the time, I was so offended when he told me this piece of advice. I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Because I said to him, hey, how do I get more speaking gigs? And all he said was, speak more. <laughs> if you want to speak more, then go out there and speak more. And I thought, Wow. <laughs> Thanks, man. This was a great <laughs> coffee session, and it just—it just felt like the I'm not paying for coffee thing. anymore. Yeah. I, I just—it just felt like the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. I walked away from that and just—I was like, "Wow, I guess some people just are born stupid." I—I I, I, well, well, anyway, not going to have that person in my circle of friends. But it, this is just one of those things again. It's and and he was so right. He was so right that we overcomplicate things. And as a result of overcomplication, we don't begin the journey. We just don't take action. We don't take those five breaths. Yeah. Because when I look back on my career now, how did I, how did I achieve success as a keynote speaker? I just got out there and I spoke more. Mm-hmm. And the more I got out there and the more I started to speak, the more speaking gigs I started to get. That's it. Yeah. Simplicity in the message. Bloody, 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 bloody hey. earth. No. It's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> Life isn't that complicated. We just make it more complicated because we well, get addicted to thinking. Yeah, you know, it's a bloody. 
Mm. But even, um, you know, when you're talking about your sort of journey into this space, funnily enough, I think just naturally you embody a lot of these things anyway. Like just as somebody that knows you quite well, you, um, you know, you go through the process of teaching, generosity, authentic messaging. Like there's so much already in your world where you probably are embedding these things. So the, mm. the bridge to whatever the next level is just for you as an individual, I think, yeah, it might feel very far away, but it does. I don't think it maybe is that far away. Just, just as a little outside observer looking in, if that's something you want to actually do more of. No, I do. I, I definitely want to go down this path a little further. You know, I'll be, I'll be very open to, you know, maybe five podcasts down the track going for another book like this. Yeah. Just give yeah. me a little bit of space. You know, I need a little <laughs> a bit, bit of time because, yeah, because well, again, you threw me book. into this one it, again, <laughs> frightening, exciting all at the same time. Very strange. I mean, what I do want to explore though is how being more present, how that's going to help me in the creative process. Because uh, like I said to you, I- I've been umming and ahhing about getting an office space in my life and, and uh, you know, I've been working from home, entrepreneur, which yes. is, we stay lean as possible, et cetera. But I- I'm starting to get to that point in my life now where my business and, and my own home, I'm-, I'm outgrowing all of that now. And I'm very interested in the creative process. And I'm really curious about how being more present allows you to tap into that creativity more. There's something there because there was a there was a passage that the author wrote that really made me go, huh. And I noted it and put lots of stars next to it. And I wrote, and this is what the author said. He said, all true artists, whether they know it or not, create from a place of no mind, from inner stillness. The mind then gives form to the creative impulse or insight. Now, I never thought about being more present as a portal to be able to access more creativity. Never thought of that. I thought more thinking and better quality thinking leads to more creativity. So I've never looked at it from, no, creativity could also, part of creativity could also come from a place of no mind. And and, and I've never explored it. It's one of those things where I've never explored, never tried it. Very interested to see how that's going to help me in the creative process. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That'll be pretty cool. Like obviously you already create at a very high quality and standard. So it'll be interesting to see if you embed some of these tools and tactics, if it does make any changes to your process. This is another one we can reflect on in five episodes time. Be like, if you created anything, you're like, nah, I just sat there with my eyes closed for four hours and (laughs) nothing really came up. And all I, the result (laughs) of it was just a steamed bland potato. (laughs) That was all I got out of it. A crappy little old steamed baked potato. Well, we'll dig into that a little bit deeper though. Like, I think there's, there's a lot of other books, you know, like just when you were saying that, I was thinking about the book Thinking Fast and Slow. Mm, System one and two thinking. System one and two thinking, right? Mm. System one is, just reactive, reactive type of thinking like two plus two is four and then mm-hmm. system two is where you go a little bit deeper and solve like the equivalent of algebraic equations where you have to take time and mm. um, additional levels of depth to come to the solution. Like I, I feel like there might be, say if a lot of, and I don't know your sort of creative process, 
So you might already be going into that system two a fair bit. Whether this helps you get even deeper in a system two, or if you are often stuck in system one, does concepts like meditation or changing your environment, allocating more time in a flow state, allow you to do that more often? Be really interesting. Well, that plays out. The, the reason why that piqued my interest this time is because literally just this week, and this happens to me all the time, I've got these random notes in my phone because I always mm-hmm. tell my phone, take yeah. a note for me. And <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll read you one that I, I did just the other day in the car. And I've just yeah. got, I've got so many of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, where is it? Let me just bring it up. And yeah. Okay. I, I just, and this just came to me and I felt like this was a really profound thing for me. And it's that, People with, I, people with EQ can talk to people's hearts. People with IQ talk to people's brains. A balance of both is important. Now, I've always understood the importance of EQ and IQ, but I've never made the connection between people who've got good emotional intelligence can talk directly to people's hearts, whereas people who've got good IQ can talk straight to your brain. So, you, you know, and, and, and those little ideas and little nuggets for me they don't occur when I'm really thinking about it. They come to me in the moments when I'm driving, in always mm. while I'm driving. And while I'm driving, <laughs> yeah, but for me, when I'm driving, I, I, that's when I go into those trance-like states when I'm driving alone, where I just know, all right, I'm taking the dogs down to the wash. I'm going to wash the dogs. And I, I purposely now don't turn any music on, don't turn any podcasts on, nothing. Because I'm trying to get into that nothingness and in that nothingness, these things happen. These weird things happen to me all the time. And, and, and that's why I've been trying to tap into that nothingness state a lot more often these days. Yep. And that's why when I read the no mind thing, that really connected with nothingness. I went, ah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That no mind thing is where I've been able to connect things I normally never have never been able to connect before. Or when you wake up in the middle of the night and you go, oh, that's such a good idea. And then you type it down. Those things happen quite often for me sure i can't remember where i heard it or read it but it was nearly like a thinking type of meditation which is quite funny it, it goes nearly against what the whole point of meditation is but sounds like my kind of problem. jam yeah this sounds like your kind of jam but say you've got a situation or a problem you nearly use the meditative technique of closing your eyes for 20 minutes but you jam on that one question right so i don't know you might be creating a new module for your upcoming keynote on a certain topic rather than just sitting there and just writing notes and really trying to figure it out. You have the notepad sitting next to you, but your eyes are closed for 20 minutes as you're just focusing on that problem. And you're nearly waiting for thoughts to come up from the subconscious to then help you solve that problem. Right. And I think this also comes from how maybe it was like Thomas Edison and a few scientists used to create like this. Like I think Edison had this tool where he would sit on a chair and he would hold like a watch or something in his hand. And then when he was trying to create an invention or solve another experiment or problem, mm. just when he was about to fall asleep, he thought that that's where the real big insight would come. So just when he was about to fall asleep, his hand would obviously get relaxed, the watch would drop, and then it would wake him up, but then he would get the mm. insight, and then he would then go create from that position. Th- so that's consistent. It's like using different. Yeah, so sorry, go ahead. No, no, that was it. Sorry. Oh, well, well, that, that's consistent with with what the world of neuroscience discovered in that when you are really tired, the, the logic center of your brain shuts down, which then allows 
the other parts of your brain to make connections that are not logical. And, and that's why the, the, and I remember I watched this on TV where they did a study where they got a bunch of people, they got really tired and that's when they were the most creative because that's when the logic center is shut. Because when you are logical, it's very difficult to be creative. Create creativity is almost the opposite of logic. And our brain stops us from being logical. So that sounds like that is a version of that. Yeah. And that's something I've also not explored because mm. I, I love doing things in the morning when my brain is the most active. And I think that's been one of the biggest barriers to me being creative is I'm trying to access creativity from the mind that has captured me hostage. And and it's like you're squeezing so hard, but nothing like you just get a little drop comes out and you're like, oh man, all of that <laughs> cognitive strain for that, that sucks. So I reckon I've been approaching creativity in the wrong bloody way. Yeah, man, this is, man, I've, I've gotten a lot out of this podcast. I don't know if anybody else has, but far out, I've learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you, you also do like, uh, I've been, I've sort of had a glimpse into your world over the last couple of weeks and I've watched you create. Mm. You, you you create with a very high level of intensity too, right? Yeah, like when you're when you're creating, like I think that's also potentially a superpower of yours is that you will sit with a problem or a topic and you do jam on it for two three hours, which I haven't really seen too many people do. So well, I mean, it might be just different ways, yeah. right? Like you might have your driving in the car version where you get insight. Then there might be the sit with the notepad version. There might be the mm. um, meditate version. And then you might get different types of creativity through this. Now, look, oh. I'm talking from someone that <laughs> doesn't know that well that well. But well, well, I, well what, it what sounds like you've got different context tools on. already. Yeah. And what we should give people context on is that, you know, Ali came over and, and spent three, four days with me and we were just creating. And, and, and it was just nice to be able to sit and create and refine and we're creating and refining our process uh, for, for a program we call Recalibrate, which is to, to help you recalibrate your values, recalibrate who you are, so that the actions you take moving forward in your life are consistent with who you currently are, right? So, so you build a life based on who you currently are, as opposed to building a life based on who you previously were. And Ali got to get a taste of, of how I create. And we would, <laughs> I felt so bad as well, because after two days of sitting down for 12 to 14 hours a day, intensely nonstop jamming on topics and refining, we walked outside and Ali said, oh, well, yeah, the place where you live is really nice, Finn. There's a really nice park across the road. And I never <laughs> took him for a walk. I didn't even let him outside. outside of the house. And I felt yeah. so bad. It was nice. It was nice getting some fresh air after 48 <laughs> hours locked inside. <laughs> yeah. What you've helped remind me is that I'm a terrible person. And that I, I also, what, what this book has helped me realize, I think ultimately is that there are so many different ways to access the now, but there are so well, many I want to go back to that to example though, yeah. before you move on from that example, for yeah. me, it was the flip side because I got very good at just making the intuitive you know, like what I would call just the the lowest hanging fruit type of decision, mm -hmm. right? So to be like, okay, what, like I'll put it through my processing. It's like, how does this feel? Feels good. Let's go do it and let's see where it lands, you know? Mm -hmm. And that was really cool to sort of step into your world 
and then be like, okay, this is this is what it looks like when you really dig into something and you go past that point of discomfort where your brain's saying, we might be getting in diminishing like we might be getting diminishing returns here because there's no point. Like we already think we've got the core of the concept here. Let's just go do it and then see where it lands. Now, what I was starting to realize is that, that might work every now and again, but you might also end up with call it six to eights out of tens. Whereas your process was really cool to see that, okay, when you sit with things for a little bit longer and you get past that point of discomfort, like not going outside for two days, uh, you actually do, (laughs) you do unlock cool things at a different level that I hadn't experienced yet. So again, what we're talking about here is that there's just different ways to approach certain things. Like you might have ones where sometimes you don't need to be in gear number six you can be in gear yeah. number one and two and see what comes up. Sometimes you can be in gear number four. Sometimes you need to go into gear number six. And it was really cool just being part of that creative process. Because even for other things outside of what we were creating, I've also then started implementing more of your thinking rather than just going- Really? If we call it the more efficient route. Yeah. Just looking at how to, if I sit with this for a bit longer, what does it then look like? Whereas usually I make decisions pretty quickly, move forward, and then just see, build a parachute while we're- uh, while we're falling, which is, again, a very entrepreneurial trait, I Mm. think. Um, But then now also saying, okay, well, if you really try to color in as much as Mm. you can, it might actually unlock more insight rather than just effectiveness and efficiency. I think- I think the clarity as well that I've, you know, realized about our friendship and and you as well is that you you are definitely more entrepreneur than me. Whereas I, I have two parts of me that fight all the time and it's the artist component of who I am and it's the entrepreneur in me. So I've got, I've got an artist in me and an an entrepreneur and they're always at battle, right? Because the artist, if I always just think as an artist, I'll never release anything that I do. And if I always think as an entrepreneur, I feel sometimes I release things too quickly. And that, that balance for me, I think has been a a big core in some of the the success that I've had in my life is learning to balance that Mm -hmm. and, and again, still to, to bring it back to this book, I think the, the most clear lesson that I'm getting from this is that in practicing being more present, I'm going to be able to master the mind and not have it master me. That is the, the, the clearest takeaway that I'm taking from this right now is that by at moments during the day, practicing being more present that's going to help me master my mind and not have it just take me for joy rides because for a long time in my life brother it's it's taken me on on rides that i do not want to go on mm. I, I i don't want to be living so far ahead in the future that i i'm not seeing the beauty in the interactions that i'm currently having with my wife or my son or it, the, the nature you know, it, it's it's far out. I, I think if, if I didn't come across this book now and I didn't study it and will continue to study it and, and hopefully have you hold me accountable, I reckon, again, I just know I'm one of those characters that would have got to the end and be like, no, 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 but no, no, this can't be the end. No, no. Oh, damn it. I was, I was going to live tomorrow. Ah, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, now I'm dead. Oh, well. Oh, what's it? Oh, what's Good game. <laughs> you know, it, I think it's, I, yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah no, cool. thanks. It's <laughs> how, how about you? What's your, what's your biggest takeaway 
I guess, having gone through this so many times, what's, mm-hmm. what did you take away from it this time? There's so much that always comes up in this book, but I think for me it was just the reminder to practice components from this and reintegrate it. So I think, you know, for me it was nearly the equivalent of when you've been going to the gym for a little while mm. and then you're like, oh, I don't need to go that often. It's fine. You know, we're, we're pretty good. But then you realize, oh, wow, it actually feels pretty good when you get back into the gym. And I think for me, this is like one off many other tools, but call it the gym for the mind and the soul a little bit, where mm. it was just a reminder, like just those little things, like just, you touched on it before, just trying to increase the quality of experiences. I think that was a real big thing that came up. Like, I think what I've just lost a little bit of balance between call it the internal and the external world. Like I've really tried to amplify a lot more in the external world, especially over the last few months. But then sometimes the quality while experiencing some of those cool things in the external world just hasn't been that high. So mm-hmm. I'll go back to, okay, how, how good is the quality off? Like, like that's a big word that just, keeps sticking or sentence that keeps sticking out for me is what's the quality of my consciousness right now? Right? Like, is there any, is there any cloudiness? Is there any weight? Is there any murkiness? Is there something that I'm not really addressing? Am I holding on to something that I don't need to hold on to? Um, like the other word that I probably highlighted a lot while reading this book the second time around was this surrender. And mm. it's like, okay, well, is there anything here that I just need to surrender a little bit more to, to enjoy it more or to embrace that moment at a higher standard? So that, that was my big sensitivity was just say if I was, if I had a rating scale on how I was experiencing the now still mm. pretty good, but it wasn't optimized. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, all right, how do you make a, a bit of a tune up? It felt like a real, it felt like getting a car serviced. It's like, ah, okay. I haven't, I haven't serviced this vehicle for a while. I need to go and service it. Wow. I mean, good for you. I mean, I've, I read this book and went, I've never serviced my car. It's going to break down any moment. I could die right now. It just freaked <laughs> me out, man. But, no, but I think that's oh, beautiful dude. though. Like it, it, sometimes mm. with these things, when you've been nearly so-called practicing them for a while, they also lose their perceived impact. Right. So you nearly go the other way. You know what I mean? When you, It's like when you're nearly too close to something or you feel like your brain feels like it already knows something. Mm-mm-mm. It's like yep. if you eat vegetables, the only thing you eat is vegetables every single day. It, yeah. Is it still healthy for you? Like there's maybe no balance in there. So I think we're just looking at it from different views, but the goal is still very similar. Like if you think about both of what we're talking about here is how do we increase the quality of moments is mm. what it feels like. You know, like, and and I think even I was thinking about when we do this podcast, we always leave it and we're like, how good was that? Like, we, we always, not like how good yeah, was the yeah. actual podcast. It's more how good was it us spending two hours just chatting yeah. and talking about something that we learned. Because I think this is one of those things that we do in the external world where we bring a very good internal quality, right? Like we're present for these two hours. We're engaged. We're talking. Like, I think call it that level of consciousness. It feels relatively high. Mm. Um, whereas then we'll, we'll stop the podcast and we'll go into the normal world and we'll have other things on. And then, then maybe our brain will be taking us for a ride. But right now for these last two hours, we've just been like, this is nearly like a type of meditation for us, right? Yeah. We're sitting here, we're, we're chatting, we're solving potential things that we're thinking about. We're 
it's nearly like our therapy session and we share it with other people. So it's very cool. And, and I guess, I guess, you know, in, in, in concluding this, this episode as well, I, I just want to encourage our listeners that the practical toolkit of solving it, accepting it, or just leaving it, I think it is, is a very cool toolkit to run through your current problems that you're experiencing right now. And I think one of the most powerful things you can do is, and I've done this in my journal, is just kind of wrote down the top three things that I'm going through that's causing a lot of conflict in my life and, and consuming my, my mind a lot and, and getting into that state of, ah. So I, I kind of look at these top three things and I just go, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to act on it in the now? Am I solving it? Am I leaving it? Or am I just going to accept it? And once you can kind of give it that conclusive decision in the present, it, it, it just frees up your mind to be able to be in the now. Mm-hmm. You know, let, let's, let's not leave things unresolved because it just it amplifies things and start just chipping away at them and just applying that, that the simple, simple three steps. Yep, for sure. And then my one would be practical is – just check in with yourself. Can you feel the breath going into your belly? Can you feel tingling in your hands? Mm. And maybe even make notes. Like if you, can you do that 10 times a day, 20 times a day, mm. 50 times a day where you just check in and see if you can break your record. If you like games. Well, this is the first time that you've said that. And I didn't think you were a bloody weirdo. Because you've said that to me multiple times before I've read this book. And I, you, I used to say, how's your day, man? And you used to say to me, oh, man, I, just, I didn't feel the tingles in my fingers today. And I just, my breath wasn't right. And I used to be like, this guy is such an idiot. Why are you focusing on your breath and your tingles, mate? What kind of world do you live in? Unicorn and fairies? I, I've honestly, inside, I used to think that a lot every time you told me that. Yeah, but no, this is I the first to, time I've to, heard you used say to, that. No, no, no. They used to verbalize it to me too. You yeah, know, I did. Like, <laughs> you didn't just think I was like, man, you're, yeah, lucky you today. Uh, oh, I didn't feel tingles and I didn't yeah. breathe, right? I had a very <laughs> hectic day today at work. And, then, so, and when yeah. you would attack me like that, I would just smile at you and I'd focus on the tingling in my fingers yeah. and the breath in the belly and- yeah. I'd be like, you were observing your thoughts, right? <laughs> I was trying to observe my thoughts and crying a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, why, why are my friends he, with this guy? Why is he so mean? <laughs> well, look, everyone, we, we just want to thank you for, for being a part of our, our podcast tribe. And, and thanks for listening. Thanks for learning out loud with us. And, uh, and thanks for accepting us for who we are, because my goodness, I, I don't know how you deal with listening to these podcasts. thanks everyone thanks for tuning in for this episode take care we'll see you in the next one bye for now hi hello it's vin thank you so much for listening to the vin and ali show we've created something that we're really excited about and we want to share it with you it's called recalibrate it's a 12-step process that helps you create more clarity and more alignment in your life it's the exact approach that both ali and i've been using to live happier lives and to achieve all of our wildest dreams in the last seven years it's been crazy being one of our loyal listeners we wanted to share a special something with you visit recalibrate.online forward slash vin and ali to access the course for 70 percent off i hope you will check it out